We are in week 10 of Experiencing God. We've gotten all the way to the, do we have the, um, the graphic there? We've, so we've, in the first 10 lessons, we've come all the way up to obey and experience. The seven realities, this is the process of, it's all about God being at work. He invites us into relationship, he, or, or he pursues us in a love relationship. He invites us in to join him in what he's doing, and he does that by speaking to us, which results in a crisis of belief. Are we going to believe that God really is who he says he is, and, that we, and, that, and then do what he wants us to do, adjusting our lives so that we reach obedience and experience more about who he is? And a part of this process is how he does all of these things in the context of community. So unit number 10 is about the church. And it dives into uh, some of the Bible's teaching on what the church is really all about. In day five, um, the authors highlight that there's so much more that I could say about the church that I don't have time in this unit to cover. And that's exactly right. So as I've been preparing this week, I've sensed that... um, well, next week is an off, we have learning community this week, but next, the following week is Thanksgiving, so we're not going to meet in learning community. So we're going to have some time to not just today, but in the next couple of weeks, talk about what the church is. Um, because there's a difference between, and, and, and here's what makes it hard. One of the things that makes it hard is we grow up in a culture where we have such familiarity with church, right? You drive down down through any community and you see buildings with names on them ending in church, Baptist church, Lutheran church, Catholic church, um, Methodist church, church of God, church of Christ, church of Christ, you know, just all all kinds of different names. So we have that familiarity And we have these preconceived ideas that we grew up with about what the church is that don't, aren't biblical. So we need to dig a little bit deeper and try to peel away the familiarity that we have in order to get at what God really says about the church. So let's talk about it. The church has God designed. And, and, and again, this is an introduction. We'll come back to a lot of stuff. We're going to, who knows what God's going to do right now. Number one, definition. Definition. Gru- as, as a group of called out ones. The Greek term that defines church is ekklesia. Ekklesia is a word made up of two different words, ek which means out of, and kaleo, which means to call. So a church, ecclesia, is a group of called out ones. Called out from this world into God's world. Called out from a life of sin to a life of following Christ. Called out from living according to what I want to living according to what God wants. It's a group that called out from, and so as um, that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples as he, as he says, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he's calling them out from a different way of, of, of living for themselves to his way of living. That's what church means. 
the group of called out ones. Kinds of churches. Number two, there's the big C church. And the big C church is all believers everywhere. It's, some people call it the universal church. It's all, so around, around the world, wherever people are, it, people who are following Christ, they're all a part of one church, big C church, universal church. And there's a, so it, and there's a couple, just a couple of times in the gospels and then a few times in the rest of the New Testament where ecclesia means the big C church, all people everywhere. One of them I put in your outline there, Acts 9, 31. So the church, big C church, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Big C church. They were, it was referring to all the believers. Little C church. This is a congregation of Christ followers in a particular locale. It's a group that have, you know, so, and this is the primary way that we find it being used in the New Testament. As a group of people who are in a particular location as a congregation of God's people. Um, in the Acts, we see it used very often. That the, that the church, as they, the church gathered um, to pray. They earnestly prayed for people, for Peter. And then what you often find is in the introduction of the books of the New Testament, the letters that are written, you find uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to the church of God in uh, the churches of Galatia, to the churches of Thessalonians, um, the seven churches of, of Revelation. There were congregations, groups of people who had been called out from a, a, uh, their old way of living to following Christ, and they were gathered together as the group of people that would be the body of Christ in that place. And then there's the fake sea church. And this is where I start meddling. A group not following Christ, but who calls themselves a church. Just because a group of people have church in their name doesn't mean they're a church. Because let's go back up to our definition. People who have been called out, people who have answered the call of Christ to renounce their sins, that was one of our memory verses, to uh, deny themselves, take up their cross daily, follow him. That's, those are the called out people. If it's a group of people who don't meet that criteria, it doesn't matter what's on their side. They're not a church. They're a group of people. It might be a social club. Sometimes they're a cult. So a real church is a church that is anchored in the Bible as the truth and gathered together in his name, living it out. Amen. Called out from the old way, gathered in his name. In every congregation, there are people who aren't really in the church. They're in the congregation, but they don't belong to Jesus. And we welcome those people. Come and see, experience it. And then you know, at our baptism, we, we heard from some people who had come to be a part of our family, but it wasn't until after a while that they actually became a part of ch the church. Does that make sense? 
So we need to be careful because the, uh, I don't know if we'll get bumped for this, but the Westboro Baptist Church is not a church. Because they are not living out the truth of Christ. The Mormon church is not a church. It's a cult. The Jehovah's Witnesses are not a church. They're a cult. And there are a lot of people who gather claiming to be the church and are not the church. And this is, this is important because Satan strives to deceive to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he can get people to believe that they're actually following God when they're not, through an organization that appears to be the church, who appears to be loving and inclusive and caring, then they may experience relationship, but they're not experienced life that God gives. And that's what makes a church. Truth as the anchor, and then living out that truth. Jesus said, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And then the whole New Testament is about how to live that out. So any entity that doesn't meet the biblical criteria for being a church is not a church. Got it? Big C church. And so we are brothers and sisters of every person who is following Christ around the world. And our hearts need to go out to them when they're hurting. That's why we we send money around the world. Local congregation, New Song Community Church are the people who have, are following Christ, who have committed to being a part of this group of people for the honor and glory of Christ. Number three, it is created, paid for, and belongs to Jesus. Created, paid for, it doesn't matter what is Ahead of the word church, if a, if a group of people belong to Jesus, they're following Christ, they're, they're striving to be obedient to him, it belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Um, I, I, so when I'm out in the community, a lot of times I'll, I'll meet people at Rotary or Paneras or different places, and they'll say, oh, where's your church? And I cringe. I, I just hate that because, and, I, and depending on who it is, mo- most of the time we'll say, oh, it's not my church. It's God's church because I don't even want that to sit out there. I, because it's not, this is not my church. This is not your church. This belongs to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He's the head of the church and we are his body. So don't ever refer to our church. Refer to our community of believers, our congregation, because the church belongs to Christ. Look at the scripture. Ephesians chapter one, turn in your Bibles there. Anybody need a Bible? Anybody slip up your hand? Pete's looking, looking. Okay. Ephesians chapter one, beginning with verse 17. The church, both the big C and the little C, created, paid for, and belongs to Jesus. The first part are God's promises and provisions, and then the end of the scripture, it gives us what Jesus has done. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of him. And th- this, these are, this is what we get when we belong to him. This, is, this, is the, this not only describes the people who are in the church, but also the incredible wonder and, and gifts and good stuff and abundant life that he provides. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, you're, you're awakened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? All the stuff that he, has, he provides for those who are his church. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, had his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so he says, when you accept Christ as your savior and you turn away and you're called out to following him, this is what he does. He, he has bought, he has paid for your salvation. He has sent his Holy Spirit so that you can experience the power, the ability to live this life in enlightenment and understanding so that you see the truth instead of being deceived and you, and you experience the abundant life satisfaction that he offers. All of this he's done for his church because he loves his church. And he says, and hand he put all things, the father put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. It is Jesus who is the head of the church. Not me, not a board, not a committee. And the only, our responsibility is to align ourselves with him and do what he tells us to do. Period. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our responsibility is to be his body, is to let him fulfill what he wants to fulfill in our lives. Only as we experience those first verses are the last verses true. Only as we surrender ourselves to him does he truly become the head of the church, the head of his body. Now, let's just pause for a second. What a contrast that is to what we see in our culture, right? Because what we've seen so often in our culture are congregations bickering and criticizing each other and instead of being the big C church. What we've also seen is people within congregations bickering and fighting and being judgmental and condemning and, and not representing Christ at all. That's not a church. A church are those who are following Christ's ways. And we'll talk more about that as we go in the weeks ahead. Number four. So I, I, I struggled with trying to, how to put this, but I just listed it as the biblical description of what it looks like to be the church. So here we go. The, the big picture kind of characteristics. Since the beginning, God has always had a people. Since the beginning, God has always had a people. It's always at God's initiative that God creates a people. And we'll look at that in just a moment. And God's purpose has always been, and this is, this is really boiling it down, so forgive me if I don't include everything yet. 
a people who are in relationship with him first and foremost. That's the first characteristic. That's the context. That's what makes a people belonging to God. So people who are in relationship with him and in relationship with each other in God's designed way, experiencing relational connection and the enjoyment that comes from that and accomplishment as we're transformed into his image. So those are the kind of the big three, and, and there are a lot of facets to that, but let me, let me show you what it looks like. From the beginning, in Eden, that was true. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now remember, Genesis 1.1, does anybody remember what that says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, it all started with God. He took the initiative. He created, and then he comes to day six, and what happens? He creates mankind. At his initiative, he creates a people. And so in relationship with him, and then in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God, God created everything, right? God created Adam, and he created him so that it would not be good for him to be alone. He created him with the need for relationships with other people from the beginning. First relationship with God, and now relationship with, and then God created Eve, and they formed the first church. Not technically, but you know what I mean. And then, and then when, when Eve came, they experienced relational connection and they had an assignment, right? They were to take care of God's creation and be fruitful and multiply and take care of God. And so it's in the context of relationship with God, relationship with one another, and then enjoying that relationship as they fulfill his, his commands, his, his orders, his assignment. In the Old Testament, what we find is God calls out a people through Abraham. And I put just one verse there, Genesis 28, verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. This is God coming to Abraham saying, I'm going to make you my people. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, which was God's original design in Eden. He's doing it. He's, he's re, what do you call it? He's restarting it. And in you and all your offspring all shall all the families of earth be blessed. They had a job. The job was to represent God so that all the peoples would know who God is by who they were. We move to the Gospels. So in the Old Testament, God did what he said he was going to do and he had a people. We go to the Gospels in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. And again, there's a whole lot here in this passage that we're not going to get to. But maybe a later week. Matthew 16, verse 13. And this is a scripture that we dug into, I think it was Heiser in Learning Community and maybe Ray Vandalin. 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven truth from heaven that, that God revealed through Peter. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. My emphasis is on I will build my church. He was not building it on Peter, right? So we're not getting into that. I'm just going to say that. He wasn't building it on Peter. He's building it on himself. He says he will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why would he say the gates of hell? Because that's part of our assignment, to be the salt and the light. So it's Jesus who builds the church. So in the context of relationship with God, he's going to build his church. In relationship with one another, that's going to be the church. With, to experience relational connection, the enjoyment of relationships together, and the assignment of being salt and light and letting other people know so they can become a part of God's family as well. And then we move to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where the church was born. The church. God has always had a people with these characteristics, but now it changes. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And do you remember what they were doing in chapter one? Worshiping, praising, praying God. They were seeking him because it's always all about God. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were, they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. They were filled with the promised Holy Spirit that we've looked at in, in John, that Jesus promised, I will put my spirit within you and, and we will make our home, my father will love you and he'll, we will make our home with you and we'll manifest ourselves to you. And so it transformed them from the, from the inside out. It was the spirit of God coming. That was the birth of the church because in the Old Testament, there was only designated people like prophets. And sometimes kings where the spirit would live within them. Now, he says, every person who is called out and responds to that call and begins to follow in my footsteps, I'm going to put my spirit within them so that you can have that understanding of revelation that we talked about in Ephesians, so that the power of God can flow through you, so that you can unite and you can love each other in ways that is impossible without the spirit of God. That's why that's one of the reasons why only those who are following him can be the church. Amen. Because you get any group of people together for any amount of time and you got problems, right? And it's only through the spirit of God and the power of God and the love of God that we get past that. And by our love lived out in ordinary life, the world knows that we belong to Jesus. That's the church. That's the church. That's the church that I want us to be more and more and more. And I, I, let me just pause and, and just celebrate because I tell you this from time to time, but I'm not just blowing smoke. 
this is the best congregation I know of. And I know a lot of pastors. I've preached a lot of places. I've mentored a lot. I've, I've met with boards and committees of other churches. I, and I'm telling you, it's, and it's not because you're special. It's because He is. Amen. And it's as we surrender and listen and obey and let Him hone us to become more and more like Him, then we experience it. Because when God works in the world, He works through His church. That's what he, Jesus told us. So I've, I've debated all week, or, or at least the big part of the week, where to go from here. And I feel nudged to tell you some of my story because it's God was always there and it was through his church. So in 1957, which if you're good at math, that means you can figure out how old I am. <coughs> my mom and dad, I was the, old, I was the first child um, my mom was pregnant with me, moved in to 2740 Share Street, Springfield, Ohio. And God was there. Because they moved in right next door to the Scobie family. It was springtime, so as it began to warm up, the three-year-old that lived in the Scobie household came wandering over to the Shaper um, house and my dad was outside and this little girl said, hi, my name's Wayne Wee. Who are you? <laughs> Elaine was her actual name, but she could pronounce it. So, and out of that came this incredible relationship. My best friend of all time that sometimes you hear me talk about, some of you prayed for him last year when he was really sick, was one year old when I was born. And out of that relationship, so there, here's Marcy, who's had kids a little bit longer. She comes over and she begins to love on my mom and care about my mom. And, um, and, and, but my mom had grown up in a Methodist church. And so when they moved from the country and when they got married, she'd moved from the country and she'd found another Methodist church, had me baptized there. But it was religion. And she wasn't getting God at all. And one day while they're sitting drinking coffee at each other's houses, Marcy and my mom started talking and she invited my mom. To come with her to the Church of God, the mainland Church of God. That decision changed my life. Because I... At a very, so I was two or three years old when we started going there. Um, I was immediately enveloped by people who knew how to love and care and affirm and listen. As I grew up, many of you know that I grew up with a dad who was very emotionally and verbally abusive. Um, and it was when I went to Sunday school and Bible school when I found people, Sunday school teachers, people who didn't even know me, loving on me, caring about me, because I, I was this shy, introverted, scared, socially inept kid because I was so afraid of everything because of my dad. 
And they reached into my life and they loved me and they cared about me. And Sunday school teacher after Sunday school teacher. We didn't even go to worship because my mom had four kids and no children's church. But we go to Bible school and, and people got to, to know little Herbie Schaefer with the burr haircut that looks like a dork. <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. And they loved me and they cared about me. And when I was eight, we moved out into the country, but the friendship continued with the Scobie family. And I would go to her house, and every time I walk in, she'd say, hey, handsome. I never heard that at home, but I heard it from the church because she was being the church in her home and loving me. And I grew up, got into, um, you know, I could tell you story after story. But then when I was 15 years old, they were having a, um, our, the youth group, which I really wasn't a part of. I just attended Sunday school. Um, they were going to Florida for a work camp. Uh, didn't even occur to me to think about going, but God was there. And some of my friends who were in Sunday school start saying, hey, are you going to go to Florida with us? Well, I hadn't thought about it. I don't think my parents would let me do that at all. And then I came home and somebody had talked to my mom and she said, would you like to do that? That never, listen to me, that never happened in my home. But it did that day because God was there. I got on that bus, 15 years old, shy, backwards. I can't, I, I just can't, you, I know you, you find it hard to believe that I could even be shy, let alone socially awkward, right? Because I'm just this over-the-top extrovert, I know. But I was, and I was scared of everything. Um, but I got on that bus, and there is no explanation except the Spirit of God. Because by the time we hit the city limits, something happened to me. And, and, and I went from just kind of sitting on this seat, hoping that I wouldn't say anything stupid. And, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to everybody, and I'm interacting with everybody, and I'm bouncing around the bus. And, and one of the older guys that was there that, that had known me, he looked at me and was, what happened to you? I don't know. But for the next 10 days, I was with the group of people who loved me and affirmed me and cared about me in ways that I had never experienced in my whole life. And when I got back to Springfield, I, in my mind, I said, I'm not even sure what these people have, but that's what I want. Amen. I mean, I knew. I'd grown up in Sunday school. I knew the Bible story. My mom had read Eggermeyer Bible storybook, so I knew the truth, but I had seen it lived out. I had experienced it in action so that it wasn't just a Bible story in my head. It wasn't actually experiencing the love of God that transformed my life. And at 15 years old, I, I was at the mainline church facility every chance I got because it became a haven. It became a safe place when my dad would just go off on me. I could go there and person after person painted, oh, I wish I had more time to tell you how good God was. It was through his church, not the building, not the programs, not the activities, people because they were sensitive enough to see little Herbie Schaefer needs 
a hug. Her, little Herbie Schaefer needs something. And then as I got to be a teenager, he needs affirmation. He needs to know. He, yeah, and they would invite me to do things that I was just a problem. But I experienced God's presence. A year later, I sensed God was calling me into ministry, which pretty much blew everybody's mind. But my pastor recognized it. And here I am. I'm a, a kid in this youth group, a church of, I don't know, seven, eight hundred people. And he, he takes the time to come alongside of me. And he reaches into my life. He talks to me. And when he finds out I'm going into ministry, on Sunday morning, sometimes I would be walking out of Sunday school, and here's the pastor. He's headed up to the platform in this big old sanctuary. And he'd say, are you in a praying mood today? Come on. You, it's the pastor. You have to answer yes, right? I mean, you're going to tell him, no, I feel like cursing. <laughs> sure. He goes, follow me. Next thing I know, we're on the platform in front of hundreds of people. And he says, I want you to pray today. I'm going, who does that? except people who are in tune with the Spirit of God, who, who are, allow God to lead them to say and do and invite in ways that only He can do. All, and, and I am who I am and where I am and doing what I am. And I don't say this to brag, but lots of pastors and, and lots of congregations have been impacted through me through the Holy Spirit working through me. And all of that is because the church was the church. Amen. Not only then, but all the rest of my life. I got to college. Time after time after time, it would happen. God's people. And then when we got into ministry, it was always the people of God who cared about us and come alongside of us. And, and when we were going through rough times and when Sheila had ever surgeries and it was the people of God, it's the church being the church. And my heart's desire is for more and more people to experience that. Because it wasn't about me, it was all about God. It was, but he is about us because he loves us and he wants us to experience the deep satisfaction that comes. But it comes not from the individualistic society that we live in. It's not me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus and God working through us. And so sometimes, you know, when I talk to people, they go, you know, I went through this hard thing and God wasn't there. And, and I'll say, wait a minute, aren't you part of a church? Well, no, you know, I just kind of worship. Well, that's why you didn't experience God because God works through people. If you want to experience God, then it has to be in the context that he has created, not in the context that we have created. So the church is so important. It's God created. It's God's presence and hope in the world. Let me, let me just highlight this fifth point. And, I, and again, out of that story, please, don't say, look what God did in Herb's life. Uh, what I want you to hear is, look what God can do in anybody's life. Amen. Everybody's life. All we have to do is just keep saying yes. 
Number five, then, is the, the church is the means of Christ's presence and hope for all. It is the means. Everything of value and satisfaction in the earthly realm is a poor reflection of God's heavenly realm. All the desires that you see people chasing are, are uh, anything that is meaningful. You know, so when people are chasing stuff, it's because they don't know what they really want. They're chasing something that they think will satisfy, but it never does. You know, and you know, they, they climb the ladder their whole lives and they get to the top and there's nothing. There's, there's, there's no satisfaction there. Um, this is why... Uh, That which we in our humanity pursue in the earthly realm is because God has placed a desire in us for what is of, of eternal value. So when people desire relationships, it's because God created them that way. When people pursue relationships man's way, it's because they're choosing to try to fulfill an emptiness, a, a, a hole in their lives that God has created the hole to fill. He's created his path to fulfill. Um, and so our constant struggle is to choose him through surrendering, listening, and obeying instead of choosing the things in this world. Um, The show Friends, anybody remember that? I know some, some of you youngers are going, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. Was a, an off-the-chart success. And some of the actors that were on there, you know, have had incredible careers. Do you know why that was successful? You know why people gravitated to that? It's because we are created for relationships. And, and our interest in people's lives and relationships are because that's what God has created us for. But it didn't point to substance. Cheers. Remember that? And, and the theme song, you know, at the end, everybody wants to go where, every, some, everybody wants to go where people know your name. Yeah. That's the longing that God has put into us. And that's why he created the church is for that enjoyment, and then so that we can be on assignment, on mission for him. It's, a, it's that dual functioning. So turn back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. And um, I'll, I'll just read these scriptures, and then we'll come back to this next week. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Did, did I give you enough time to find it? Go ahead. All right. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches, abundant life, meaning. And to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in Christ who created all things. So that through the church, through the called out ones, through those who are following him, through those who are on assignment with him, the manifold wisdom of God might be shown now 
might, of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's saying through what the church does, it makes a difference in the heavenlies as well as here. Through the church, not through the angels, not through the, the material um, creation, through the church. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Through the church, God accomplishes his, his purpose. Through the church, Jesus said, for uh, your love for one another, others will know who I am. Others will recognize me. And now he's saying through the church, the angels and the demonic forces will also recognize and glorify God. As the salt, the light, the aroma of Christ. People who are in relationship with him, people who are in relationship with one another, connected through him, who are in enjoying that relational connection and are doing his work mission. And then Ephesians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 14. I guess we just finished verse 13. I guess 14 comes next, doesn't it? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Here's God's desire that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, surrendering more and more and more. So, so you, are, you are in the image of Christ more. You're surrendered more. His presence is flowing through you more. You're, you're experiencing maturity and um, insight and strength as you grow in your faith. Might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love Maybe have, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. God's desire is that we be filled so full of him that that is our greatest desire and our greatest satisfaction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's able to do more than we could ask or imagine or think or brainstorm as we seek him. And that's why we do weeks of prayer and fasting is because that's where the real joy is. That's where the real meaning is. To him be glory in the church. Gathered together, not individual but together. Jesus laid down his life for us. He told us to lay down our life for others. It starts in the church and then it goes out from there. So what do we do with this? Well, first I hope it, it recalibrates a little bit, gives you things to think about in how you view church. Because if God loves his church that much, 
then we need to be committed to it as well. Big C Church around the world, Little C Church, the congregation that God puts us in. Um, we haven't done a welcome to the family class for a few years because of all the craziness that's been going on, but we're going to do two. There's a sign-up sheet down there. That's one of the ways for those of you that are newer to understand some of the history of what New Song is about and to identify if this is the congregation that God has put you in. Because God puts the members in the church. I don't. You don't. It's about God putting him, putting the, the church together. So that, that is one way, one action item as well. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we recognize that you are almighty God and your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Your ways are so much higher than our ways. Um, and we confess that the culture has oftentimes deceived us subconsciously we're not even aware of. So I pray, Lord, that you would as we go through this week, reveal more and more about your idea in creating the church, big C and little c, that, and that you would help us to surrender to you and your plans and your purposes, that we can truly be your church. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.